in the Critical Care Ontario report, there's the 92 confirmed, or I think it's 99 now, cases confirmed um, taking up ICU beds in Ontario. Hmm. Um, but what the ministry didn't tell the public is that there's 342 cases that are suspected mm -hmm. COVID-19 cases. Mm -hmm. And so if you include the suspected cases, that's about a quarter of our province's 2,000 ICU beds that are already filled. March 30th, Canada has, has had 89 COVID-19 related deaths, Ontario 33 deaths. There are 169 hospitalized in Ontario and of those 62 people are in the ICU. Toronto has had six deaths, 67 people are hospitalized and 30 of those are in the ICU. 61% of all of Ontario cases are in the GTA. And today, the among other things, we're going to focus on three main topics. Layoffs that have been announced today, a lack of transparency that everyone's starting to agree on in Ontario, and how long the COVID-19 virus lasts on surfaces. Okay, but first, just some things from the news today. So there's been big layoffs announced in Canada in Canada, Air Canada announced 16,500 layoffs. Alberta said they're going to lay off thousands of support staff for their schools. The unions estimating that's going to be about 20,000 layoffs. Trudeau gave more details on the emergency wage subsidies today. So businesses must have lost 30% of their revenue to COVID-19. It includes non-profit and charities as well and the 75% wage subsidy must all go to employees and will pay up to a maximum of about $3,500 a month and it's retroactive to March 15th so I'd say that's pretty comparable to what um, a lot of other mm -hmm. European countries are doing mm -hmm. um, there I'm sure you've all heard that there's been an outbreak of COVID-19 in a nursing home in Bob Cajun where nine people have died and 30-something staff or other people are known to be infected. Um, yeah, which is really everybody's worst nightmare in this, in this climate. Mm -hmm. And then in New York, which is kind of under siege from COVID-19, they're starting to get more beds so in they've built a thousand bed field hospital in a convention center in manhattan mm -hmm. and they've put i think it's in manhattan and then they've put one they've built today a field hospital with 68 beds in central park mm. and they also have a big ship the usns comfort which has a thousand beds, but it's for non-COVID-19 patients. So that's to free up other beds. Mm -hmm. And New York announced yesterday that they're going to start to fine people who don't listen to orders to disperse mm -hmm. and go home. So they're really trying to crack down. I wonder if in Toronto they could use the convention center too if we need it. That's yeah, it's big, big, giant, open. I mean, space. let's hope that. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. We're not coming to that, but mm -hmm. um, you made the point today 
that where did we read that U.S. hospitals usually are operating at 75% capacity yeah. or maybe their ICUs. I'm not sure which. Yeah. In Canada, we usually operate like at 98% capacity. Or over 100. Or I mean sometimes, hence depending on the hospital. Yeah, I mean, hence the need for like uh, what the, I want to say hallway medicine. Is that what they call it? Hallway. Hallway medicine, yeah. Yeah, hallway. Yeah, the mm. whole fight against getting people out of the stretchers in the hallways in the hospitals, but we're often over capacity. So we are... So the point of that being that we're not as well positioned to absorb this crash as a lot of cities in the States are. Yeah, like even if we're doing better than the U.S., we have much less slack to work with. Mm -hmm. Going back to the layoffs, the headlines in the layoffs. So the, the Alberta one sounds like, to me, it sounds like the everyone except for teachers kind of in their whole province is getting laid off like it's a big big thing everyone except for teachers you mean in the education system it's in the education s in the yeah. in the in the education system sorry yeah the school system is getting laid off and it um it it's i think they said in there was an article in the national post saying that it's the single biggest layoff in canadian history and it just feels like the wrong way to be going at a time when you need people to pull together like no one knows what the future is going to hold for for us for you know for the provinces the country what what the economy is going to look like after this what by laying people off it's saying you're on your own and especially for public institution to do that it feels so off base off off yeah. what we should be doing especially right now. as all the federal government is trying so hard to support workers and to get companies to re to retain their workers yeah yeah that a provincial government would take that step yeah it's the ucp what do they stand for i forget ucp is the the party, right? Conservative party, maybe? Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Anyways, the the point is, they it, it just feels like this is something I learned recently from Simon Sinek, his his book on infinite mindset. The I think, so what's, what's the name of the book? Is it The Infinite <laughs> Game? <laughs> the Infinite Game. You've read the book. I've I read haven't the book, read the book. We've ta I've talked about the book for uh -huh. endlessly because he talks about a lot of really important things. One of them is that people are often thinking too short term and this idea i mean he talks about layoffs before obviously before all of this stuff happened he's been been a big uh, he's he's been very against layoffs and talks about the examples of companies before about the 90s like layoffs weren't a thing people would companies would would find ways to keep their employees they recognize the value of of keeping their employees as long as possible and would do anything possible to 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 mean to protect their employees and take care of them and it was only over the 90s that that really this kind of balancing your books annually or whatever by taking by laying people off on a regular basis became a thing and i s i've seen it firsthand i worked at celestica when there were a couple of rounds of layoffs that happened there and it was devastating for the for the morale for for people that i'm um, obviously for the people that were laid off but 
beyond that, anyone who is still around, like you just got this feeling like, like the company doesn't really care at all about you. You're just, you're completely expendable. And, and that's, that's when you start, people stop caring about the work they're doing. They stop trying, they stop, you know, if, if someone isn't looking out for them, then what's the point in them looking out for anyone around them or what the job they're doing? And it, I mean, it, it just feels like in an uncertain future, what you want to do is build people's self-confidence. You know, what Simon Sinek talks about is if you take care of the people under you, they will take care of each other. And by laying people off, and it might be in this case that it's kind of a, bean shuffling game they're doing they're saying well the federal government is talking about giving enhanced ei benefits and things to people that are losing their jobs or losing income so these people will say we're going to temporarily lay them off and we can probably rehire them again once things get going again when schools when school comes back into s full swing and in the meantime they can be paid from the federal bank accounts rather mm -hmm. than our provincial bank accounts and we can use our provincial money to pay for all the healthcare expenses we're going to have but it just I feel like there's a whole that's just not gonna I, it feels like this is a disaster waiting to happen because people are just the, the, the impact this is going to have on people is much greater than just the financial one and um, and that's Devil's advocate. You yes. have to remember also that Alberta is getting double hit here double. because their oil yeah. oil prices yeah. dropped from like fifty something dollars a barrel to like what is it now four <laughs> like it just is like that what it is now plummeted. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's it's true. Like the people in Alberta are going to be. I mean, as it was as of the last election, people were up in arms wanting to separate from Canada. I mean, it just feels like the average working person, the middle class is just getting stomped on and this will be another kick in the pants for those that work in the school system. It it just feels like yeah. That that what we need to do right now is to pull together, try to find ways to keep people employed, to bridge people from now till whenever we get through the COVID-19 crisis and people in, in life, you know, maybe it won't go back to the way it was, but whatever new normal is, we start to see what that is. And we, we need to find a way to get people from here to there. And uh, it, yeah, it just struck me as soon as I, s it just felt deep in my stomach. I just felt this discomfort with that with what's going on now but that's yeah I guess we'll see what happens mm -hmm. um, in Ontario today they the I don't know what office it is actually that releases the number the Ministry of Health I guess mm. um, they change the way they report the COVID-19 numbers mm. so a few things have changed. So they w they've started reporting a bit of demographic information. They've kind of separated it to like people under kids under 19 or 19 and under 20 to 64 and then 65 and over. So we kind of have a bit of that breakdown, but they took away the test backlog information. So you couldn't see how many tests are still pending 
they are, you know, chipping away at that. And so people were kind of up in arms about that this morning and asking for transparency. And by tonight, actually, just as I was putting Avery to bed, I saw that they had put it back. Hmm. And so now the testing backlog is back on the website. Oh, and what is it? Around 5,600, I think. Okay, so they're chipping away at it. That's great. They are chipping away at it. But I think people are are accusing them of not being transparent enough. A lot of um, high up healthcare professionals, former healthcare professionals, epidemiologists are really calling on them publicly for better transparency and more information. So Mm -hmm. I think with that tiny little metric, (laughs) there was a bit of a win there. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing about the data, so until today they were reporting cases twice a day and now they're just going to be updating them once a day Mm -hmm. and they're going to be updating them from the day before Mm. so the numbers are going to be lagging yeah much more lagging um which is weird because then when you check like the ctv tracker or whatever their numbers are ahead of the actual government reported numbers because the people are still going to report yeah like you still hear about in the news they're still going to have the yeah. latest numbers yeah mm. um and then also so cbc published a really interesting article this morning so they got information from critical care ontario which is an organization founded after SARS that exists to monitor critical care resources in Ontario and to make sure they're being utilized properly. So they're monitoring like the number of ICU beds Mm -hmm. that are being taken up. And so um, CBC found that when they compared the critical care Ontario numbers with the numbers being reported in the Ontario press conferences, that the numbers being reported in the press press conferences were about two days behind Mm. the actual numbers from critical care Ontario. Um, And I think that's just an artifact of system reporting. Mm. It goes into something called IFAS and then IFAS spits out the numbers that are being reported and there's just a lag there. Mm. So yeah, so that's further lag for reported numbers. Mm -hmm. But anyways, there are, in the Critical Care Ontario report, there's the 92 confirmed, or I think it's 99 now, cases confirmed um, taking up ICU beds in Ontario. Mm. Um, but what the ministry didn't tell the public is that there's 342 cases that are suspected mm-hmm. COVID-19 cases. Mm-hmm. And so if you include the suspected cases, that's about a quarter of our province's 2,000 ICU beds that are already filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some areas, like Waterloo Wellington is one of those areas, mm-hmm. as well as Erie St. Clair and Central East, those areas are up to 40% of ICU beds yeah. already already filled. And we're barely So that started. just really, we're barely getting started. I mean, yeah. well depends how you look at it but with exponential growth 
I mean, if you have like the doubling time, right? Like forty percent of your beds filled, that means in four more days, eighty percent of your beds are going to be filled. Yeah, you can. B- you can't like double within twice. a week. You can double once, basically. Within a week, time. you're done. One and a half doublings, and we're out of space. So in a week, the ICU beds will be filled up if we keep going at this rate. Now, so even with twenty-five percent, two du- you get two doublings. Yeah. So what is the date today? It's the 30th. One, two. So, yeah, I don't know. Like doubling. So what are we doubling at right now? Do we know rough? I mean, when? I guess we could just look at the hospital numbers. If we I mean, what matters is... Like ha- I mean, this... So... <coughs> Yeah, when were these people affect infected that are in the ICU now? Was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? I mean, if you look at, let's assume... Two weeks ago, I think. So that was after our social... So the people coming into the ICU now should be people who were infected right around the time we started our social distancing. Right. So... It could go down. It could slow down. Yeah. It should slow down this week. But, I mean, we can't know that and we've talked many times about about how slow we were to adjust to social distancing yeah it wasn't just like march 14th everybody stayed home but just if if we look at the numbers of people for instance in toronto in hospital as that's the i have those numbers in front of me as, yeah. as they went up there was 10 on march 21st and then there was like 22 on march 25th so like four days later we doubled yeah and then four days later we were around 40 so it's like four days you could say that four days doubling i don't know if all those people go in the like if the proportions in the icu are doubling at the same rate but Mm -hmm. let's assume they are because why why would probably yeah so it's like four you know so we have like (laughs) if we were at the same rate as when they started you would have eight days to work with but hopefully now we have more than that yeah i don't know this week is going to tell us a lot Mm -hmm. about what kind of trouble we're in or not in Mm -hmm. okay did you have anything else to say about that topic no all right then um i also just wanted to mention about um COVID-19 and how long the virus lasts on surfaces. Um, I meant to say this yesterday, but I forgot. Mm. So there was that study in the New England Journal of Medicine that we've talked about before that, that looked at how long the virus kind of sits on steel and copper and plastic. Mm-hmm. And they looked at how long you can detect the virus Mm. so they put virus on these surfaces they kept them at room temperature Mm. in a nice cozy lab environment Mm. and then they would swab them every once in a while and see if there was still detectable levels of virus Mm. and that's really important because so for example on steel they still found detectable levels of virus two days later Mm -hmm. i think maybe that was plastic shoot i can't remember one of them it was two days later Mm -hmm. 
so that seems like a really long time for this virus to hang around, but that's only a detectable. It doesn't mean that it's still infectious. doesn't mean okay. there's enough virus there to make you sick. And that's an important difference. Obviously, they didn't do that study. They didn't go and say, oh, is this enough virus to make somebody <laughs> sick? I mean, how would Here. you how would you know? Yeah. Like, how do we ha do we have? Does someone know that? Like, or have a sense of what the order no. of magnitude is? No. No. I don't no. think anybody knows how many viral particles it takes to make you sick. That's too much detail. Right. What we do know that is, like, intuitive is that the more virus you're exposed to, it seems the sicker you get. Yeah. So, detectable is likely less than would make you sick, you could think. Yeah. You would think. Because some people are more, well, at least the average person, but like if you're a super, like if you're mm -hmm. more frail. You Anyways, might. you don't know how much virus it takes to make you sick, but detect, yeah. I'm just pointing out that detectable Doesn't does not mean yeah. infectious. Well, that's like the same thing they said on the boat, right? Like the boat, the, sh the Right. Cruise. There was that other headline a while ago that said that they detected coronavirus on the one of the cruise ships 17 days yeah. later after people had left. Yeah. Again, implying that it was infectious, mm -hmm. but it was not. It was just the RNA that they found. Mm -hmm. The same way that you can find a person's DNA after they die. But it's a bit different because RNA breaks down a lot easier than DNA. So mm. you wouldn't expect to find, you don't find RNA in old samples of things. Like you find DNA in old samples of things because mm -hmm. RNA degrades much, much faster. Mm. Um, and so it's interesting that they found the RNA 17 days later, but that doesn't make it infectious. That doesn't mean it's going to hurt you. Mm. Is is it, does RNA just break down faster because there's literally only one strand of it? Like, is it like a physical, like, whereas DNA is like, we've got to break down like two? I don't think it's just that it's more than because that. I think the single standard stranded DNA is also more stable. Oh. I think it's the oxygen, like, <coughs> DNA is deoxy RNA. Yeah. Like, that's what the D stands for. Yeah deoxyribonucleic acid and R is RNA is just ribonucleic acid. So I think it's the, the oxygen. Whatever that is, it degrades. Don't quote me on that, folks. That's reaching back a long we way should, to my chemistry look. classes. We could, we could try to report back. Cool. Um, right. So then I was just going to say, so the half-lives, half-lives, half-life mm -hmm. <laughs> of the virus on these different surfaces. So a half-life is how long it takes for half of something to degrade. So if you put virus on a surface on plastic, in seven hours, half of it will be gone. Mm -hmm. On steel, in five and a half hours, half of it will be gone. On cardboard, three and a half hours, half of it will be gone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't think a lot of virus is left when it's still detectable. Hmm. Okay, and then I just have two really other little things to share. <coughs> so one is, um, as more countries do more testing, we get more demographic information about 
infections and um new zealand i saw today they have a lot of infections in their 20 to 29 right population yeah. right that was the graph you showed me yeah so it looked just like the south korea graph where it's like a bell curve of the population kind of peaks around um the 40s except there's just this really tall peak for the 20 year olds that they're just the most infected demographic which made kind of made sense for south korea because they were testing very broadly mm-hmm. and you can imagine that 20 year olds kind of hang out with their friends more and ha- would have more occasion to socialize and become infected. Mm-hmm. But in New Zealand, I looked and they don't seem to be pr- particularly good at testing. Oh. So I don't really know what that spike is about, but I just thought it was interesting because mm. it looked like South Korea's. Mm. And then opposite to that in Iceland, where I learned that they are doing the most testing per capita of anywhere in the world because their population is so small. Mm. So kind of any amount of testing is huge. They've tested three and a half percent of their population. Right. Um, And they don't have that spike in the 20 year olds. Their distribution is just a nice bell curve centering around middle age. So I'll just say it's probably not the same in every population anyways. Like it depends where you have super spreaders and where how it entered the population and mm-hmm. and how it's spreading, but mm-hmm. just these graphs are starting to come out more and more. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to say was I read a just an upsetting article about poor truck drivers. And about how now their rest stations along highways are putting up signs that truck drivers mm. like can't use their washrooms. They're becoming like pariahs. And it's like, I don't know, like we depend on these people. I mean, so do those businesses. Like the businesses that, yeah, like that the truck stops need yeah. the truck drivers to come to the truck stops. Yeah, like it's what weird. Is, yeah. That's and sad. And I guess this is just human nature. Yeah. There were reports also of the in where where is it with the nursing home with the nine people that passed? Bob Cajun. Bob Cajun. There were like reports of uh the grocery stores not letting in healthcare workers and like from yeah. the nursing homes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean that's I think this is the kind of I mean I d- I don't want to call like panic that you don't want, mm-hmm. right? Like actually people turning on each other. Yeah. And it's yeah. I don't like really you want to find ways to just make it safer for everybody. Yeah. Like if you have healthcare workers that shop at your store, offer to deliver their food yeah. or yeah. get masks for your staff, or like yeah. there are other ways than just saying, no, you're not welcome here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sad. All right. That's our list. Should we touch on feelings? How are we feeling? Now? How are we feeling? Just because we haven't done that. Okay. In a few days. You go first. Oh. You're better at feeling. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, today was a bad day. Personally, um, I felt tired today. Yeah. I think I felt. I think I'm feeling a bit scared at the stamina it's going to take for us as a family and for us as a society to get through the acute part of this. Yeah. Like it's only week three. and It's, it's only week three. Yeah. And there are m- many more weeks to go. Well, I don't know how much weeks there, how many weeks there are to go of the intense quarantine, but there's certainly many, many weeks of just the whole of COVID-19 being around and being a threat. Yeah. And last night I got woken up early. Um, we have a night nurse for our son, Caden. And sometimes if there's a problem, they have a little emergency bell by Caden's bed that rings in our bedroom and wakes me up mm. doesn't wake Tilik up <laughs> but wakes me up i sleep too well apparently it's a very special high-tech alarm mm. um so i got woken up early and i can never get back to sleep after the bell and kaden was fine um and i was just so tired all day and then both kids are home and we're in the house and it's raining and we can't go out and I was just thinking, like, if if this if there's a lot of spread in Ontario and our nurses, our night nurses start getting quarantined or people start getting sick mm. and, w- you know, we have to run on less sleep or we have more to do, that's going to be really, really hard because it's already pretty hard. So I think just losing that sleep last night just kind of like made me feel that. Yeah, they on were a, so close on a to day the when edge. I have energy and kids are happy, then it's like, oh yeah, we can do this, we can do this. Yeah. But today it, it didn't feel like that, and I'm just, and that's only our little microcosm. Yeah. And I know, and I know too how lucky we are, and I see families other families with disabled kids or multiple disabled kids that are really struggling already and yeah so yeah summarize i guess i just feel scared about having what it takes to get through this personally and societally yeah i mean obviously we're gonna have to change we would change the way we like what our day looks like dramatically Mm -hmm. if if that, ha- you know, if both yeah. of us were lower on sleep, we would have to figure out how to sleep during the day or whatever. Yeah, yeah it would be tougher. But we do it. Mm-hmm. And what about you? How do you feel? I think today I started to feel, I was thinking more about, well, okay, I saw th- uh, a video by Simon Sinek. Apparently, I read and listen to him a lot. Yes, you do. I watched a video by him that was talking about how, it, I think the title is, These Are Not unpre- Unprecedented Times, in that big changes come through society all the time. Like, the internet came and put a whole bunch of people out of work, and you know, different technological changes come and upheave a current 
status. I hope he had better examples than that. I don't know. He used a bunch. He's saying in terms of, I think he was talking to his team. So this video is like actually like a, like a Zoom web meeting. Okay. Where he's like, I think they're, because he does public speaking. Like that's yes. like his group does public speaking. Yes. And they're in turmoil because they can't. Right. They no, can't have groups. Like he, his career, he's basically saying like probably public speakers, that career might be dead for Mm-hmm. for a long time like who knows yes. when conferences and those kinds of things will start again yeah. and so they have to reinvent themselves and I think that's the thing he's talking about like right. lots like businesses have always run into these sorts of challenges and and so personally we had uh, there were a bunch of calls today just uh, from the research at UHN and it sounds like there's going to be you know that I think everyone realizes there's there's going to be financial challenges coming up there like for anything that's publicly funded or funded with uh, funded through donations so uh, my understanding is that most scientists in Canada are funded through philanthropy and philanthropy is because of what this what's happening in the stock market no one's going to be in a position to donate money for mm-hmm. uh, the foreseeable future so there's a lot of things that are going to be become difficult and who knows if you know I, it just occurred to me that maybe I should be thinking about alternative career choices going mm-hmm. forward podcaster <laughs> 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 yeah i mean the obvious that's the obvious solution obvious right solution uh so so i think in a sense i was like these real again, I'm just trying to like plan ahead so that none of this comes as a shock. So I'm like trying to think about as much of the possible negative outcomes as possible, just to be ready f- if they. So how were you feeling? Scared. Scared. Of those possible outcomes. That's how I was feeling too. But then. We match. Do we win something? But yes. Okay. <laughs> but then I also thought it would. It's also kind of. You know, the potential in the whatever this new world is, there's mm-hmm. going to be potential for however the new way of living is going to be and new opportunities. It was also interesting to think about what those opportunities might be and how your new career as a podcaster would fit into that. Podcast downloads are, are going down. Are yeah, that's right, because no one's commuting less, right now. So maybe that's not the best industry to be going into. Mm. What FYI. would be going up? Videos? Are people <laughs> watching more videos now? I don't know. I can produce videos. Okay, I got to go to bed. Yeah. As per, I was tired all day today. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave you with another song tonight. Mm-hmm. This one takes super califragilistic expialidocious and turns it into a very lively song about a virus Mm. so you can enjoy that good night good night Now when a virus comes along, it's spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well Unless you want to bid our free society farewell There is a 
super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better cough in your arm now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half their docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we're asymptomatic while it's in incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you take the lesson here to heart because it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad transmittable, a super bad transmittable, a super bad transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad transmittable, contagious, awful virus.